So for many people who watch Gardener's World on a Friday night, they'll be familiar with Barnsdale Garden as the garden that Jeff Hamilton used to present the programme from up until 1996. Jeff was a famous TV gardener and his son Nick Hamilton now runs Barnsdale Gardens and it's open to the public. Nick's recently written a book called The Right Genes about his father and himself and his life. And I caught up with Nick to ask him a bit about what the book was about and also to tell us a bit about Barnsdale Gardens. What we've got really is is one garden that's sort of divided into two halves. So uh, we have what I call the TV garden part, which was the bit that my dad um, presented from every Friday night uh, on Gardener's World and BBC Two. And then the uh, the nursery garden part, which is the, the sort of the bit that I came um, back and, and developed. So I, I um, we worked, we set up a little business together um, about uh, sort of eight months after I came back. Opportunity to buy the piece of land next door to the bit he already had, uh, which was fortunate. And, and so um, my dad laid his area out as sort of in effect um, lots of little television sets that represented an average sized garden that the viewer would have at, at home uh, but but obviously because it was um, also his own back garden he wanted it to feel like a back garden he didn't want just all these television sets so he basically put borders around the outside of the of these gardens and also in between the gardens and whatever so when you when you wander around it it felt like you were in a garden but in effect it was like lots of little garden rooms that were just like somebody's back back or front garden uh, and then and then the nursery garden part, um, I developed that in the same uh, way. Uh, so it's uh, it's laid out in the same sort of idea, uh, lots of smaller gardens within a larger garden scheme. Um, and then um, my dad's garden was never open whilst he was alive, um, but the nursery garden part we opened with a honesty box on the post as you went in. And uh, But then once my, my dad passed away, I was um, left the garden. Uh, and um, and I, I worked very hard um, with my team, small team here, to get that ready to open that the, the following year. And, and we did. We opened the whole thing and charged one price for everybody to come to the whole thing and, and view it um, as one garden. Well, that is fantastic, isn't it? And fascinating. And so you've been operating as an open garden since 1997? Yes, almost exactly. Um, 20 what would that be now 26 years ago so 19th of april was when we when we actually opened the gardens properly as as one thing for everybody to come and see it as one garden and you've now written a book called the right genes about your life and your father's life as well so tell us a bit about the book and how you've you've come to write that well i had a i had this idea sort of rattling around in my head for for quite some time actually and i think I think sometimes you know you just just you just need um, either a, a, the time, a, a little bit of time, or, or or the right sort of nudge in order to to, to do that. And the, what I wanted to do was to you know there's been lots of things over the years you know that Dad's written and and since he passed away things that have been written about him. And, but you know I wanted people maybe to understand you know what created the man that they saw on the TV. And and I'm you know I'm very much very very much like my dad. Uh, and and so our sort of obviously our lives are intertwined because because until I was 34 he was my dad you know when he still is I mean I was growing up with him uh, you know until then uh, but but what I what I do is very much the way that he did things and the things that he did you know I'm sort of repeating you know as well so we're, we're not the same exactly the same person but we're we're very very similar in that respect and I wanted to to 
make people aware of, of what he was like. I mean, he was he was such a funny person. I mean, he really was, and 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 had very strange ways of <laughs> of doing things, but in very positive ways. And and it was actually it was my wife who, who said to me, you know, you you just really need to to just to start it. Once you start it, you'll get going. So you know, she encouraged me to sit down and, and start writing this thing. And and I found that once I started, I then you know I just couldn't stop. I mean, these this the, the continual stories were coming out, and and it, it it's such a cathartic thing to do. Actually, you know, you 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 suddenly remember things that you they're lodged in your head somewhere, but you'd forgotten about. And then they come to the fore, and and some things were quite emotional to write about, you know, and and other things were, I found myself myself laughing out loud at them, you know, and, and so um, it was. I found it such a great experience. And you both shared your training, you know, same same location for your training. You both went to Rittle Agricultural College. Yes, we did. Um, yes, we did, and and it, yes, that was a, um, a, a sort of a strange event, really. It wasn't. It was never really meant that I went there. Really, I didn't. I didn't have an intention to go there because my dad went there. Um, I, I think that um, he was. He started um, on the on the television by then, uh, and so he was um, started to become very well known uh, in in gardening circles in that respect. And 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 I've always my whole life sort of shied away from that. I've never once ever used him as a means of getting anywhere in 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 my professional life. Um, and and so I probably would have um, shied away from Rittle if it wasn't for the fact that I you know I had prospects. I sent off with prospects from various different um, colleges all around the country, and we went to a big trade show in at the NEC in Birmingham with for me the sole intention of, of going around and looking at all these um, different colleges and talking to the people there and seeing where we were going and Rittle was one of them to be fair um, and uh, and somehow I don't know how but my dad managed to manoeuvre us around that show only ever coming across the Rittle stand we never saw any of the other stands I don't know how he did it um, but he's obviously meticulously meticulously planned it somehow um, so so it was Rittle for me as well. <laughs> Written in the stars yes. <laughs> yeah. Now watching clips of your father Jeff on Gardener's World recently on YouTube and things. It's really interesting, you know, he was ahead of his time really in terms of promoting using yoghurt pots, recycling items and getting people to, to kind of use those kind of items rather than buying fresh kind of plastic plant pots and things. Would you agree with that? He, he Absolutely. I mean, he was a, he was a, a visionary. You know, it, it's staggering the, the things that he, he was thinking of and, and appreciating that needed to be done and and encouraging people to follow him and to do and to be fair you know the the, the amateur um had, did do that you know when we when we now the, the hot topic at the moment is peak free at the moment and and when you think that, that over over 30 years ago my dad was saying to people you know we can't keep destroying our peat bogs they're such a vital resource not just as a carbon sump but also as a as a habitat for plants and for for, for animals as well um, and we need to look at the peak free side of things. And, and, you know, 30 years on, they're still trying to catch up with them. And, and, and depressingly, you know, the, the, the professional horticulture industry decided to bury its head in the sand and, and not to follow his example and to carry on using the peak because they'd always used it, you know. And, and now, all of a sudden, it, it's now a real hot potato. Um, but he was encouraging people, and, and, and not just with that, but with lots of other things. You know, like you say, the recycling thing, he was... 
telling people that, or, or encouraging people to recycle when uh, 10, 10, 12 years before it became something that was, was you know, at the forefront of people's minds. The other thing that struck me was he, he often knew the prices of things, prices of plants, and very, you know, would, would quote that on the television clips and things. You know, he'd say this was £3.20 at the garden centre or something, or £4.90 and that, which, you know, you don't ever really hear garden presenters sort of talking in those terms very much nowadays and often with some gardening programs you'll see them putting in huge developed trees and things that are costing obviously a lot of money but i think that's a very interesting point and probably we need something like that with the the cost of living crisis that's going on at the moment i think yes i think making people aware of, of what things cost i think they you know that everybody everybody has a, a monetary limit as to what they can spend on their garden and, and my dad was well aware of the fact that you know, when you look at the Cottage Garden series that he that he uh, wrote and presented, a short series of six programmes that ran um, in between sort of the end of Gardener's World and the beginning of the next series. And there he built a garden that was a cheaper garden, uh, which was a very cottage garden style, really. But the, the gentleman's cottage garden was, was really quite expensive to do. And he was aware that you know, there are people out there that do have an awful lot of money to spend on their garden. They're a, they're a very small minority, but they are there. So he didn't want to alienate those people, but he was also very aware that the majority of gardeners, and traditionally, you know, people who garden don't have such an available income to spend a lot of money on their garden. So, you know, making them aware initially, and also just the fact of saying things like, you know, this is what this costs, but if you can't afford that, I'll show you a way of propagating it yourself. You know, and, and doing that and encouraging people to do things themselves. And I think that, you know, the, the, the cost of living crisis that we're having at the moment is turning people very much more to looking at, at, at almost homegrown as opposed to buying, which is great because the problem with putting these big mature plants in, and there is a place for putting, for using these sorts of things, but to say, well, you know, why should you wait for 20 years for a tree? To, to develop and, and to, to become glorious. Well, they're glorious from the minute they go in. It's because, you know, they're, they're almost like one of your children. You should put them in smaller and you should watch them develop because every year they get better and better and better and better. And and you invest then in those plants in your garden. Whereas if you, if you go out and spend, you know, £5,000 on a mature tree and plonk it in your garden, what have you invested in? You know, you've invested £5,000 on a tree that you have no real connection to. And he was very keen to, to you know, to, to make sure that people were investing in their garden and therefore um, getting the most out of it. Now, the title of your book is The Right Genes, i.e. Yeah. DNA genes, but you, you also yeah. have a pair of your father's genes on display, don't you? His trousers. Well, I, well, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I do. He was, he was the first gardener to, be, to, to suddenly to appear on the TV, not only in genes, but... but God forbid, with his top button undone and no tie on, uh, you know. And so um, he was. He was suddenly it was. It was much more relaxed. It was less formal. And, and so you know, it's an iconic thing. And, and we've in the past we've done that to um, to have it as a, a charity sort of thing where we've a little slot in the top and people, you know, for, for the, it was for various charities we've done over the time and we continue to do that. Um, but but I am I am um, I'm well through the the next book in my series of books, which is also called the Right Genes. But this one is is spelt as in the trousers, so that one's a J E A N S uh, book, and that sort of carries the the story on from when he first started in Gardener's World and until um, until he's he passed away. Now, Gardener's World was a huge show at that time, and is still a huge show. 
you know, did did the fame impact upon you at all and the family in terms of did people recognise you or or want to know gardening tips from your dad and things? Yeah, I mean, yes, I did once say to him, you know, do you, do you mind people stopping you in the street? Um, and he said, um, no, not at all. Um, he said that two things. Firstly, they always want to talk to me about my favourite topic, which is gardening. Uh, and secondly, he said it, it's part of the job. You know, it's part and parcel of the job, and that's that's all part of it. And 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 he he um, hated the word celebrity. He never saw himself as a celebrity. He always saw himself just as a a normal gardener who just happened. His job was was to teach people via the medium of television, you know, how to garden initially or how to garden in a better way or to improve their gardening skills or whatever. And so he never saw himself as anything other than just a normal bloke on the street. And that's the way I've been brought up. That's the way that I am. And I, and I do, you know, I do, obviously I get recognized for, for who I am and have done for, for many, many years. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'm maybe, um, less, less gregarious than my dad was. Um, but I'm happy to talk to anybody. I also, um, you know, I'm obviously incredibly, incredibly proud of what he did. Um, and so, you know, I don't mind when, when people refer to me as Jeff Hamilton's son and don't use my, my own name. I'm, I'm more than happy with that. I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, but obviously, I also plough my own furrow, you know, so I, I do my own thing, as I have been doing here for, um, you know, the last 26 plus years. So when someone says to you, what's your stamp on Barnsdale, how would you describe that then? Well, a, a, a garden is a work in progress. You have to understand that, you know, because I was 34 when my dad passed away. So I had 34 years of being indoctrinated in Jeff Hamilton's style of gardening. So, you know, my, my, my gardening way is always going to be similar to, to my dad's. But obviously a garden, as he always said, and, and I keep saying to people, it's a work in progress. I mean, you know, gardens should keep moving on and moving on and moving on. And, and obviously the garden here at Barnsdale... Um, sort of two things really is that firstly um, as gardeners you know we we need the garden to change to keep our own interest in it you know mine and my staff's interest and whatever it has to keep as a as a domestic garden would keep rolling on but also for, for me as a, as a on the business side of things you know in order to encourage people to come back because there is so much to see not just at different times of the year but but you know in different years because obviously the garden keeps moving on so we keep developing and doing different things so there's lots and lots of things here that my dad certainly wouldn't recognize um which which have been generated in you know in my time here and, and things that i want to do and the way i want to do things and that was always the way it, it you know a garden um i think if you if you've got a historical icon like hampton court palace you expect to chew the garden around it but most gardens are as i said a work in progress and they just keep moving on and and my dad would have no problem with that as i wouldn't when i've had my time and, and the garden keeps rolling on after me now, i think adam frost trained under your dad as well didn't he well adam well adam worked here for um yeah for, for a while i mean it, it he, yes, he worked um, primarily in the in the nursery garden part here, helping me develop that, um, and and then obviously did some some stuff. I mean, you know, we were all paid by my dad at the end of the day because because um, that's where that's where the sort of the money came through. Um, obviously, all of the money I generated on the nursery went into into his coffers and not into mine, um, and so it came back that way. But but Adam, yeah, Adam worked with my dad um, on on several projects um, and and things. So. 
Um, and then obviously, um, you know, after my dad passed away, um, worked for me for, for a bit. And then um, I sort of um, helped him uh, very much um, sort of set up as a, as a independent, as it were. And, uh, you know, and, and I've known Adam, obviously, for a, for a long, 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 long time. Yeah, and he's sort of continued wearing jeans on Gardener's World as well, hasn't he? Well, I sort of, I, I think that that sort of, <laughs> sort of has become the style now, isn't it? I mean, mm. you know, my dad made, you know, broke the mould in, in the way that people did and said to him, you know, at the end of the day, you're gardening in the clothes you want to garden in, and, and that's what it is. And so, um, you know, a lot of gardeners now do wear his, you know, he's, he also wore walking boots. A lot of people do that, very comfortable to garden in. You know, we all do here and, and things. So, yeah, there's lots that my dad did, actually, that you can still see. Um, you know, manifesting itself all, all over the sort of the gardening industry in that respect. Yeah, because people sort of forget now, don't they? But people like Percy Thrower and that wore shirt and ties, didn't they? And blazers and things when they went out into the garden on television. Yeah, it was a very formal. It was a very formal thing. And of course, you know, the, the thing, you know, the thing with with what happened before Percy Thrower, Jeffrey Smith, Clay Jones, those sort of people doing those sort of things. The way was to to have everything, um, you know, quite formal. Everything was perfect, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden you've got this, this new bloke came on the television and said, oh, gosh, you know, look at this. I, I did this and, and, and they, you know, my seedlings haven't germinated. Well, people never saw anything that went wrong before. And all of a sudden, and that's the, I think that was the, the start of, of, of people following him um, without question in that the, they, they saw that he was just like them. He had successes. He had failures as well. Um, and so, and so he's saying to him, "Don't worry about it. You know, if you have a failure, don't worry about it. We all do it." And that's what he was saying. Whereas prior to that, everything was, you know, everybody was neat and tidy, really crisply dressed, and everything that they showed was always perfect. And of course, I think for a lot of people, they 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 felt almost substandard because they couldn't achieve that perfection. And then my dad came along and said, "No, no, no, you don't have to. We we all do make mistakes." And and that was that was almost a liberation for lots of gardeners. And, and your father was an early proponent of organic gardening as well, which I think you continue with, don't you? Yeah, we've been yeah we've been organic here for nine thirty five years now, um, and he was he was very much at the yes at the forefront of that and brought that to the attention of of people um, on the TV where before you know organic um, methods uh, weren't mentioned at all, um, and and yes he was very much at the forefront of that. Excellent and. You know, if people haven't been to Barnsdale, you know, they can go on the website, they can book, can't they? And 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 you're open all year, aren't you? Yeah, we don't. I mean, you know, people don't need to book to actually come. I mean, we, you know, they can go on the website and find out all the information, but they just need to turn up here, and and they, and we're open all year round. We actually only close Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day because, uh, uh, you know, as you know, there is always always something to see in the garden. Exactly, especially a garden like that, which you had to have something for all the seasons, really, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all it's quite you know it's it's sort of sad, really, in a way that that people think that there is nothing to see in the winter. When in actual fact, there's such a staggering amount to see at all times of the year. You know, it's just it's just different things at different times of the year. I find myself saying that a lot to people. You know, it's different things at different times, and what you see in the winter what you see in the early spring what you see in the autumn make the most of it because you don't see it in the summer you know so it's it's about different things at different times of the year and, and it's about you know everybody's garden should should 
not be full of interest all year round, but should just have enough, enough to, to keep your interest in the garden. And that, that's all you need. So even sometimes it might be just a, a couple of clumps of snowdrops um, that, you know, that come out end of Jan, early Feb, and, and, and they keep your interest going until your spring flowers start to come out. It's just about having enough, even in a tiny garden. You don't have to have a garden the size, size of ours to have interest all year round. And in terms of peat-free alternatives, is there one that you particularly recommend, say, you know, the, the coconut husks or something like that, Koya? Well, a, a lot of, a lot of um, peat-free... Well, we started using Koya because that's really what was available at the time when, when my dad started to look down on peat-free. And, and um, in actual fact... Um, you know, the, the initial, um, one of the main initial peak-free compost was sort of developed on what we were using here, or what I was using in the nursery. And and, uh, and I had great success with that sort of mix, which was coir, bark and sand was predominantly what I was using. And I was adding, obviously, nutrients to that. Um, but but these days now, it, it, they're very much bark-based, the the, um, the compost. Some do also still have coir in them, uh, but very much uh, bark-based uh, and, and work very well. You know what, what we we use here is 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 one that's um, made by Melcourt, um, a Cambridgeshire-based company, um, and and I use that um, on the on the nursery here and, and find that to be very very good. Nick Howelton's book, The Right Genes, is available through Barnsdale Gardens website, barnsdale.co.uk, and there's a link in the text with this interview, so you can click straight through to order the book online.